and welcome again to our family Christmas service. And moms and dads, I know that there are little ones here in the space, and I'm good with that. I was a youth pastor for 25 years, and I'm used to having people not listen to me. <laughs> and I'm used to them talking while I'm talking, and it won't bother me one bit, so have no fear. Uh, I just want to tell a quick story, and then we're going to have the kids come up and sing, and then I'm going to tell another story. I'm actually going to do that with them in the uh, here at the front. We'll see how that goes, and uh, and then we'll uh, we'll continue our worship time. So last month, it was a few days before Thanksgiving. I was at my barber getting a beard trim. Yes, I have a barber. I know that sounds odd. I've been uh, cutting my own hair for. 30 years, and I've been shaving my head for the last uh, year or so, and it's a quick process. But uh, I don't have a lot of uh, friends or folks that I know outside the church, and I kind of feel sometimes that I need to get to know more people outside the church, and also I like to be pampered. And so I decided that I was going to let my beard grow longer, and I, and I was going to begin going to a barber, get a beard trim. So I went on a search to find a barber, and so I tried different places. I was in Philadelphia at a real high-end place. The challenge there is there's a bridge toll, and I didn't want to pay that. I, I, I mean, I like to be pampered, but I don't want to pay too much either, and so that, that didn't work out. And then I tried a couple other local spots, and I finally found the spot that is my spot. I'm not going to tell you where it is because it's my spot, and I really don't want to see you there because it's my time, all right? And uh, one of the things that I wanted was I wanted a barber who would chat with me and talk to me. I didn't want to just get a beard trim. I wanted to get to know the barber. I remember as a little kid going to the barber, and his name was Larry, and Larry was the barber, and I remember my mom would give me a quarter, and that was Larry's tip, and I would give Larry the quarter at the end of my... Uh, my haircut, and uh, that was so many years ago because I don't get haircuts, as you can see. But so one day, this it was it was two or three days after Thanksgiving. I was in the barber chair, and one of the things I like about it is this big leather chair, and you kind of sit there. And I take my glasses off so that she can, you know, make sure everything is even and neat and all that kind of stuff. And uh, I can't see very well, and and we just kind of she just kind of talks, and and she's just getting to know me. She doesn't know I'm a pastor. We haven't had that conversation because you don't start with that. All right, because having uh, being a pastor and telling someone you're a pastor when they don't go to church is the kiss of death to every conversation because nobody wants to talk to the pastor because I may know some things about you. I certainly probably know some things about God, and that might get you in trouble. So oftentimes people who are not connected to the church don't want to talk to me once they find out I'm a pastor until they find out what a great guy I am and how wonderful I am and all those kinds of things. But before that, they don't. So I don't ever start the conversation there. So at this point, I've been there about a half a dozen times. It's never come up, what do you do? And so it hasn't come up. So I'm in the chair, and uh, before you get your, uh, your straight razor shave, which is my favorite part of the whole thing, is that uh, she lays you back in the chair, and a real hot towel comes out, and they drape it around your neck, and they curl it around so that just your nose is sticking out, and you're laying back. You probably look foolish, but I don't care, because it feels nice. I'm in a big leather chair. You put your feet up, and it's almost like a really quick nap. So I'm there in the chair, and she puts that thing on, and then she takes that hot towel off, and then she puts some kind of stuff. I don't even know what it is, but I 
like it, and it smells good, and she rubs it in your beard, and then she puts another hot towel on your head, and that one stays on for a while. Now, when that happens, something happens in the barbershop in that no longer do you have conversations while you're under the towel. I don't know. It's an unwritten rule I've discovered that you are no longer there in a sense. You're like a separate entity, and so she starts having a conversation with the other barber. And the other barber is just sitting in his chair. He doesn't have any customers. He's just sitting in his chair. And they're discussing the radio play at the time because she is the manager and she's just switched it to Christmas music. And he is not liking the station that she's chosen. And she says, I have to play Christmas music. It's what makes it Christmas for me. That's what Christmas is all about. And he counters and says, that is not what Christmas is all about. The real meaning of Christmas, the true meaning of Christmas. And I'm like, as soon as he said that, I'm under the towel. And I'm like, what's happening? Church just happened. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm just taking a nap, you know. This is my barber time. And church is taking place outside on the other side of this towel. And he says, the real meaning of Christmas is when it snows outside. And whenever there's snow, you're like, that's And then she says, no, that's not. And it's not the snow. It's about getting together with family. When family gets together, that's what Christmas is all about. And he counters and says, have you met my family? It's nothing about Christmas is when my family gets together. It's about the food. It's about having the cookies. And my mom used to make pies. And that was. And she says, no, it's not the food. I know what it is. It's about the gifts. It's got to be about the gifts. When you have little kids, it's about the gifts. And he says, oh, no way. It's not about the gifts. They just want, 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 want. It's not the gifts. And then under the towel, I'm hearing all of this. And then I hear think it's a religious thing <laughs> to which the other one said yeah I think it's Catholic <laughs> and then the conversation ended she took the towel off my head my face and I expected that here's where here's the big moment Here's where I say, I'm a pastor. Let me tell you the true meaning of Christmas. But it didn't. She changed subjects. She went on to something else. I'm now back in the room, back in the equation, back in the conversation. And she has a straight razor in her hand. So I'm going wherever she wants the conversation to go because it's right at my neck. So we talked about some other things. If I had been invited into the conversation, if the conversation had continued, I would have probably said something like this. Music and snow and gifts and even family, those are all great things. They're really good things, and we love those things. But you're right, that's not what makes Christmas Christmas. And then I would have said, you know, it's not even a religious thing. And no one church has a market on Christmas. I would have said Christmas is a celebration of an interruption. It's a celebration of an interruption. It's the greatest interruption in 
human history. And really what I would have said is that God has always been in the habit of interrupting. That God loves to interrupt. And if you look in the Bible, you see that there's interruptions throughout the Bible that God is always interrupting. Even if you go all the way back to the beginning in Genesis chapter 1, in the very first verse, it says that God spoke and said, let there be light, and there was light, and light just came into existence. That was an interruption, in a sense, that light just happened. It just entered our world. And after light, God continued interrupting, and life erupted. Light and life. And I would have said that Christmas is that there was one who lived above history and chose to enter human history. And entered human history because his life and death and resurrection would then make a mark on our history. A mark that would never be erased. And that event is what makes Christmas Christmas. And so Matthew and Luke tell that story, and we've been hearing that story read to us by the little ones and uh, their families. And it's a story about Mary and Joseph and shepherds and wise men, and and it's become almost too familiar in that it's a story that is told, and it's a story that is loved, and it's a story that is told in children's books, and it's a story that's told on television. It's a story that's told over and over and over again. It's a wonderful story about Jesus as a baby sleeping in a manger, and it's, and it's told, and it's so simple, and it's so uh, even cute in its telling that we can have kids come and sing and be part of the story. And so our kids are going to sing now, right? So how's this happening? Come on up, boys and girls.
can I tell you guys a story? Yeah. Okay, everybody have a seat. I'm going to sit down with these, okay? Can I, can I, can you make a spot for me? You make a spot? Okay. All right. Okay, Mary, you come up right this side, okay? So I'm not, you're not, you don't have to sit behind me. Right? Yeah. So the other day, I had to go to the doctor. Yeah. You guys ever been to the doctor? Yeah. Have you been to the doctor? Yeah, so I had to go to the doctor. They're trying to figure out why I'm getting old. Right? I know. I know. It's obvious, right? Yeah. So guess what? So while I was at the doctor, I had to get a needle. Yeah, yeah. You know what? And they, they, they give you a needle right here because they had to take some blood because they had to do a test. I have done that before. Yeah. Did you do that before too? Yeah. It hurts a little bit, right? So while I was there with the doctor, the doctor asked me, she knows what I do for a living. She knows that I'm a pastor and she knows that I work at a church. And she said, so are you busy right now? And I said, yeah, Christmas is pretty busy. And then she said this. She said, it's not nearly as busy as Easter, though, right? Yeah, isn't it? Because she said, well, Easter's your really big, important holiday. And I said, well, why would you think that? Now, remember, she's giving me needles, so I'm being careful about talking to her. I said, why would you think that Easter is more important than Christmas? And she said, well, Easter's where all the big, important things happen, right? Jesus, Jesus is, is, is dies on a cross, and Jesus is resurrected and that's the big important stuff she said well she was checking to see if i had blood to make sure i still had some yeah yeah so so she's so she thinks that easter is more important than christmas and so i said well i disagree i think christmas is just as important as easter and she said why can you believe she asked me that she really did she really did and I said, well, here's what I think. I said that at Christmas time, we were a world that had no idea what it would mean for God to come to planet Earth. And God chose to come to planet Earth as a baby and interrupt human history. I'm putting you to sleep, aren't I? It's okay. And I said, I think that is as big as Easter. And she said, well, when you put it that way, I guess you're right. And I was glad she said that because she still had a needle in her hand. I know. So here's what I find fascinating is that there are people. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I know. Uh -huh. So there are people who misunderstand the story of Jesus. Because they just think Jesus was a baby. They miss that Jesus grew up and became a man. And he lived on planet Earth. And he taught and he did some really fascinating things. But what was most fascinating is that he came just so that he could be a sacrifice for us. Yeah. Isn't that a great story? Yeah. And that's what happens when I go to the doctor. Almost every time. I went to the doctor yeah. and I got blister and I didn't have a prize. No way. You get a prize? I didn't get a prize. I got a prize. You did too? Wow. All right, you guys go back to your seats now, okay? Good work. Good work singing. So it's a really cute story, isn't it? 
It's a cute story about Jesus and that, that, that God would choose to leave heaven to come to planet earth and we can make it a cute, good children's story. And it is, it's meant to be that. But really, it's a story that God took no shortcuts for us. That God chose to learn how to walk. That God chose to learn how to talk and do all the things of life. That God lived a fully human life. And by doing that, God not only broke through history, but chose to live in human history. That God left heaven to come to earth. That God left his throne to become a human baby. It's the greatest story in human history with the greatest results. See, because history was written up to this point of humanity falling from heaven and humanity being separated from God. But Jesus coming to earth as a baby was the interruption in our story that changes our story and can change our story forever. Now, uh, as, uh, as uh, Craig was sharing, uh, the third gospel that talks about the Christmas story is different than Matthew and Luke. Matthew and Luke tell the familiar story. John tells a different story. John's story uh, is almost like the adult version of the story. He says that the life light blazed out of the darkness and the darkness couldn't put it out. Did you know that darkness always loses to light? Darkness always loses to light. If you're uncertain of that fact, next time you're in a dark room, turn on the light. It happens immediately. Light always beats darkness. And John tells us the Christmas story is a story of the life light blazing out of the darkness and the darkness couldn't put it out. John goes on to say that the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. That Jesus interrupted our world just like in Genesis where light and life entered our world. John tells us that light and life, the life light entered our world. The one who lived above history entered human history so that our history would never be erased that the baby in the manger came to die so die a death so that death would die and life would live forever because darkness always loses to light. I spent a time uh, in, uh, in Tennessee on a mission trip once with uh, students, and we went caving. I've never been caving since. I realized then I have a little bit of claustrophobia. But I was caving with these students, and there was about 20 of us, and we were in this cave, and we were crawling where there was, there was, there was just, a, a, just enough room to just barely army crawl through this section, and, and, uh, and it was dark, and all we had was flashlights in our hand. And you know, when you're with 20 middle school kids and you're caving, there's lights going everywhere and it's kind of like you know like um um nauseous because the lights are flicking all over it's kind of like a disco ball kind of experience and and a strobe right it just wasn't a good experience and uh, and so then at one point the, the the leader said everyone turn their lights off except for my light and i want you just to follow my light and so he turns his light on and then we all are army crawling in the final few feet and where we can just barely, if you lift your head too high, you, you hit the ceiling, you're crawling along, and, and it's feeling very claustrophobic, and we come out into this space. And, and we were unaware, because not only had lights on, how 
grand the space we might be in, except that he said, you can sit up now. And so we sat up in this space, and now we're sitting in a circle. And then he said, I'm going to turn my light out. And he turns his light out, and when he did, it was as dark as any darkness I'd ever experienced in my life. It was the darkest uh, space I'd ever been in. Matter of fact, he said, now put your hand in front of your face. And we put our hands there, and I was touching my nose, and yet I couldn't see my fingers. It was never have experienced darkness like that. Like It was as if my eyes were closed. And he says, everyone remained perfectly still. Now, remember, I'm with middle schoolers. That's not the easiest thing to have middle schoolers do. But they're in this space, and there's a few sounds, and, and there's a few things going on. But, but there, is, there is quiet. And then he said, the life light blazed out of the darkness. And the darkness couldn't put it out. And he lit a birthday candle. That's all it was is one simple little light. And we began to see the faces around us in that space. And 20 of us gathered in a circle could be seen by one simple candlelight. And then he said, I want you to turn and face now outside the circle. And so we we all turned our shimmied and we're sitting, you know, crisscross applesauce. You know what that means, right? And so we had turned, and now we are all facing outside the circle, and we realized that we were in a space that was three times the size of this room. This little pathway that we had crawled, army crawled into, had opened up into a grand cavern. And that one little candlelight was now casting our shadow onto the walls, all the way around us. One little candle. And that's when I understood darkness cannot put it out. That one light can force its way into any circumstance. That one light can go out into any dark space. And light always wins. Light always wins. And so John tells us that the life light entered planet earth. I know that it was almost 40 years ago when the life light interrupted my life. And my life has never been the same since. There are times that I've slipped. There are times that I've fallen. There's even times when I have intentionally run away from the light. There are times when I've been drawn towards darkness instead of light. But yet, in every instance, I find that the life light draws me back. And that no matter where I've been, no matter what I've done, no matter what I've thought about God, God always invites me back. And this light that entered my life has never been extinguished.
bringing life and bringing life. I know that here in this room are men and women who would tell similar stories. That they could talk about moments when they've been far from God. Moments when they've been in the darkest of the darkest spaces. When they were sure that there's no light that could invade that space. But just like my candlelight experience in a cave in Tennessee, they would tell you that even the smallest light breaks through. And that no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've thought about God in the past, the life light entered planet Earth so that that life light could enter human history and enter your history specifically. So the ushers are going to pass candles to you in just a moment. Uh, we, we are uh, tenants here. This is the Mount Laurel Community Center. It's not our space. And so we want to be good tenants of that space. And so we use our imaginations when it comes to candle lighting. To get a real candle, you have to go to seminary, I guess. Uh, so that's why I have one. Uh, and so we're going to pass out to use some battery-operated candles. And on the bottom, you'll see that there's a switch, and you can light that switch. The ushers will pass that bucket to you. And uh, kids, make sure the kids get them as well. We want everyone to have one. Jesus is the light of the world. He entered our world that darkness could not put it out. And the one who lives above history interrupted our history so that he could enjoy being part of your history.